Hello, welcome once again to Ryan's Crush Corner, the podcast where I, Ryan McGee, interviews girls that I have had or currently have crushes on, and we talk about relationships. It's a fun little uh, concept I came up with when I realized that I have a lot of crushes that may or may not know that I am attracted to them or interested in them, and... uh, so I developed this podcast as a way to kind of confront that and just my own kind of insecurity when it comes to dating and relationships as far as being more forward, being more open, being more honest and relying less on like weird uh, ideas that I have in my head that may or may not be true and kind of trying to read signals and understand what what the way things that actually are as opposed to my ideas about them uh my guest today is erica fletcher say hello hey that's erica uh she's uh go ahead and tell them about yourself uh i am a professor at the university of houston um yeah what else i met ryan several years ago when i was a student at UH and uh, we've been friends since 10 years now 11 has it been that long maybe 12 I don't know it's been a minute not oh wow yeah almost almost 10 years I guess yeah for sure that sounds about right that's interesting all right uh do you want to talk about I guess how we met or what you remember about meeting me so it's been a minute. Uh, I think we met at either freshman orientation or maybe that jumpstart program yeah. when we were both babies. <laughs> I was 16. I'm guessing you were 18 or 19. Yeah. And we met through Lindsay, our artist friend, who you knew since high school. Yes. Yeah, I graduated with Lindsay at uh, PVA, so I knew her through that. And then there's actually a lot of people from my high school, high school for performing and visual arts that went to U of H that I kind of started hanging out with them. And so the people that hung out with them were kind of friends with me. We were all kind of friends together, I guess. Yeah, we were in the same friends group. Yeah. All right. So what, what do you remember about that Jumpstart program in the summer? at the uh, U of H Honors College? Oh, not a lot. I think we were all so young and we had all these ideas about what we wanted to be when we grew up. And we also were commuters. So we kind of formed a community around not living on campus, um, at least our freshman year. And then by my sophomore year, I started living on campus and then kind of adopted a lot of the commuter friends into my dorm and we would all hang out there. Well, yeah, actually, I started as living on campus, and then that didn't work out too well, so then I started commuting. But anyway, um, so yeah, we took a few classes together in the Honors College. We had at least two classes from Cook. We had history, and we had the Harlem Harlem Renaissance. Renaissance. Yeah, Yeah, we went to New York. Yeah, that was cool. Um, So yeah, yeah. What was your first, I guess, impression of me? I don't remember my first impression of you. Or Um, I guess early on, like, what do you remember? You know, I thought that you were super artistic, a little introverted, a little awkward. Um, Only a little? Just a little, but I was really awkward, and I still feel pretty awkward, too, so... I identified that we were, you know, simpatico on that. Uh, I remember you dressing up as a teddy bear for Halloween. <laughs> and I loved that outfit and thought you were really funny. And um, I don't know. We were just, we're all in the same friends group, you know. You were kind of struggling with what you wanted to be when you grew up and... 
didn't know exactly what that would look like. You procrastinated on quizzes and tests. And I think we were in the same study group for the U.S. history class. And I would just get frustrated because <laughs> I would do all the work. Um, I was a little type A. I still am. But, you know. Wait, were you frustrated with me? I think I was frustrated with the group. If you were in the group, which I think you were. Because it was me, Luke. <laughs> Lindsay, who else? It's been so long, but I know I set up study groups and we had the kind of final exam guides that I would create and people were supposed to memorize in their entirety. They were blue book tests. So we had about an hour and a half to free write as much as we could remember. Yeah. And I got really into that and you weren't as much into that. No, I I really enjoyed those classes though. Yeah, Doctor uh, Cook was cool. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, essays are not my strong suit when it comes to act. Yeah, uh, <laughs> tend to procrastinate a lot. And uh, yeah, revise. Yeah, it's honestly it's a it's a problem that I think kind of mimics how I am in real life whereas like i i kind of when i'm writing an essay i revise a paragraph like as i'm writing it over and over instead of like trying to move on to the entire essay and just try to perfect that one little thing or like that one little sentence mm -hmm. and i kind of obsess over that and that makes it difficult to move on past that uh and there's probably some way to relate that to uh myself. you think that maybe when you're interacting with women you want to try to make that interaction perfect somehow or you think that you've done something wrong and so you can't relate to them in the way that you wanted to initially well i i i think i tend to obsess over little little things either things that i'm insecure about myself that i think other people will notice and so i get yeah, and uh, generally, I, I I think I've said this on one of my other episodes, but yeah, I would I I typically am very quiet when I first meet people, and that's typically because I am afraid of being seen as annoying, because I I have this fear that everybody thinks I'm annoying or that I that if I talk more, people think I'm annoying and not be interested in hanging out with me. And so I typically am quiet when I first meet people. And when I get comfortable with them, I tend to open up more and I, I see that as a as a way it's like, like I feel like I, I need permission to be weird or <laughs> to be what may or may not be like myself or where I feel comfortable being. So, uh, so if I, if I, if I can say something and, and I see people react favorably, favorably to it, like either they, they laugh at something I say, or they say something back that's equally funny or weird or whatever, then I, I take that as a sign that I can keep doing that. But otherwise, like if I don't see any kind of reciprocation, I kind of just stay quiet, clam up and continue mm -hmm. to be quiet um i just remember in undergrad you wrote a lot with pencil and paper and you'd erase a lot too and then rewrite and <laughs> there's something to just committing to pens you know committing to your words and just blazing on even though it doesn't make sense that's what academics do a lot so huh. you know yeah that that's yeah i do i do i even today i i mean i use pen but i i typically enjoy pencil more even though a lot of times i don't even erase like I, i'll still like scratch stuff out sometimes but it i don't know it tends to get messy but yeah yeah commitment is hard just in general yeah with pens <laughs> and i like i like 
I like seeing the opportunity in things. Because um, we, if you commit to something, yeah, that's 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 the thing. This is going back to essays, but I still think it relates to other stuff. Like uh, when you're writing an essay, and it's also related to comedy. This is why I like talking about it. If you if you take an essay and you start going, you kind of have to figure out where you're going with it with the essay like what kind of direction what kind of points you want to make um so you have to kind of map that out and kind of continue in that progression uh but i guess the way that i think about things is is kind of seeing things in a maybe less linear projection so you kind of see how things relate in other ways and it's hard to commit to going in one direction when you see it going in all these other different directions. And so to pick one path is frustrating because you, you can't deny the other paths, I guess. But you could talk about all the paths, but then you would just spend forever writing about it and that's not feasible most of the times. And honestly, I think that relates to how I view relationships there's so many possibilities or directions yeah. that people could go in yeah. or ways that you predict the end before they happen. Yes, that's that's a theme in my uh, relationships or non-relationships, however you want to view it. Is Yeah, I see, yeah, there's a lot of possibilities of girls I like. That's kind of why I'm doing the show. Can we just stop here and say <laughs> women folk <laughs> instead of girls? Women folk. The like, feminist in me can't let you keep saying girls, girls. Ryan. All I right. just can't handle I, it. I, I accept that. That's that's a fair point. Uh, yes. So the women, can, do I have to say women folk or can I just say You can say, say women. women. You can now, say is this women with a Y-N or E-N? You can spell it however you like. All right. I'm going to spell it with an E-N. All right. Um, but yeah, so yeah, women, yeah, I see there's several possibilities of women that I could maybe pursue a relationship with. And it's, you know, you can see it each, you know, each person has their their points or whatever that they, they you are attracted to them for whatever reason. And so it's kind of overwhelming to pick one and just kind of go with it. Because on the one hand, you don't, if you're committing to a relationship, you want to, you don't, you want to, you want to stick with it. You don't want to half-ass it, I guess, in the sense of you don't want to play around with somebody else's feelings. You know, it's a, it's a genuine kind of thing. But at the same time, you don't want to deny yourself like other opportunities that are possibly equally or even possibly more so. Um, interesting or beneficial to you that i don't know maybe it's premising too much of what a romantic relationship can give you right because you can learn so much from your friends from your community from the the people you meet every day you can have those intense exchanges with people that do form a kind of intimacy but it doesn't necessarily have the commitment of a relationship yeah and saying that you can only learn things from those relationships then kind of dissuades you from figuring out other ways that you can grow and learn from other people too, right? That's true. How, what, what, what ways would you see that happening? Um, ways that I see learning or growing from other people? I guess you're you're I guess you you're talking about like intimacy that happens outside of a romantic relationship. Yeah, I mean, if you've you know, when you travel, you meet fellow travelers and you might be staying at a hostel for a few nights together and you have these really amazing conversations that you know are going to be fleeting and momentary, but pausing on a trip and getting to talk to people and discussing things that you wouldn't with your friends and family, you can learn so much from them and their lives. And there's a kind of openness because there is more anonymity and you know that you're not going to see these people again, but you can kind of open up or, or learn more from them and their life experience than you would before. But I also think, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities to meet people or talk to people in your hometown and 
a part of that is just opening yourself up to conversations or to dialogue with people who you normally wouldn't talk to. That's very true. But I also think like as a society, we expect our romantic partners to be everything for us, like our emotional support and perhaps financial support and the people we um, rely on for health insurance and all of these economic exchanges too that might be too much to ask of any one person right and so for me in thinking about who my community is or what what kinds of relationships I can have within my community I think friendships or mentorships with people who are much wiser and smarter than I am have been helpful for me to to learn from their mistakes without you know being romantically involved with them yeah I think that's a good point I think yeah it's important to kind of seek out yeah so not yeah not limit yourself not limit one person to giving you all those things that you're looking for I mean, do you feel like you have good mentors in the comedy scene or, you know, people that you're really good friends with that you aren't romantically involved with? <laughs> I mean, wait, are you talking about comedy or? or... Yeah, like yeah, comedy, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, lately I've been. Yeah, the thing is, like, I, I talk about wanting a relationship because I know in some sense I crave intimacy intimacy um uh i know that i i tend to kind of not be a very physically affectionate person in general senses but i do know that i really want that mm-hmm. um so i think that's that's a big part of it is i just want somebody that i feel comfortable being physically affectionate with but yes i do see that um a lot of times yeah just like lately since i've been getting into doing comedy just talking with people other comedians about comedy is almost more fulfilling than anything else like Mm -hmm. you know we'll be at a bar and you know there'll be you know women attractive women whatever at the bar that like some people are like oh trying to talk to but then if i'm like having a conversation we're talking about you know some some new comedian or some special that people are talking about like that's usually i'll be more invested in that than you know trying to talk try to talk up you know somebody else you know because that's a lot of times that can be more fulfilling and uh yeah so i do see that um and yeah i i remember even uh <laughs> there was this one time after after a show that i had performed i did pretty well on and I was I was hanging out with this other uh, comedian, and we were just you know hanging out talking, and this uh, this woman comes up that had seen the show, and she was you know complimenting us and like on the show and everything. I was like, oh yeah, thank thank you, you know, and, uh, thanking her, but kind of going back to <laughs> to talking to my comedian friend, just like <laughs> you know not necessarily dismissing her, but like not really seeing that as anything. Just any, like event eventually like we we ended up like going out to eat at like 59 diner when it was still open and just like talking about comedy it's like yo man we could have we could have tried to get laid i'm just mm. like i i guess but like let's 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 keep talking about comedy and we did and it was it was awesome um yeah i think there's something to that intellectual engagement that can create some forms of intimacy without a romantic valence to it yeah. um but you know physical connection and those kinds of intimacies are basic human needs too and i yeah i guess i feel like that is something that's missing for me missing from my life i guess that i'm more that's i kind of have been obsessing about that lately um do you need to hug a puppy ryan we can make that happen it's it's not the same i know it's not the same but i think that there is something to touch and to nurturing another life or to you know just having a kind of tactile experience that does again create some kind of connection or intimacy i i can see that the only problem is well i guess if i had my own dog or cat that's a lot it's expensive yeah but yeah i do yeah petting a dog or cat is helpful sometimes sometimes it's not enough that's all i'm saying yeah 
but you know it could also be the way that we're socialized that you know men don't touch each other as much or touch you know women in a non-sexual way we've we've sexualized touch to an extent that you know people can't connect to each other or you know just bond without it seeming um somehow sexual are you you saying that's a problem that people have sexualized touch well yeah and i mean i think that touch doesn't always have to be sexual it can be a way of you know showing camaraderie but because we live in a culture of toxic masculinity touch is so much considered you know something that could be homophobic or you know kind of well i mean i, I see that but i think i think se- a sexual touch is still something that people want to have yeah do you yeah. no i think so i i do think that the sexuality um and like that need to be touched like in a romantic kind of way is part of the basic human connections or needs but I also think that we devalue the other kinds of relationships that can provide some forms of intimacy all right but you still need it though I (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah but no I I do see what you're saying yeah but I, I I feel I feel like I more or less have that I mean I have comedian friends I enjoy talking about comedy and other you know, artistic people that are, you know, into things that I'm interested in that I can talk to about that. But uh, the touch, the sexual touch, it's it's something it's maybe maybe overrated, but it may be built up in my mind as like this kind of like grand thing. But I think also it kind of comes from maybe not having too much of that, I guess. Because if, if it's not something you experience or not, it's it's either something you kind of grow to not want at all or you kind of like crave it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Did you know I was interested in you before I asked you on to the show? Uh, well, yes, I think if memory serves correctly, you asked me out a couple times. Once was during undergrad, right before or after my college relationship, and then once as I was moving to Brooklyn just bad timing all around <laughs> I almost forgot about that one all right what do you what do you remember about that do you remember like how it happened um well so the last time was via text message and I thought or I had hoped maybe that you were joking because I didn't know how to tell you that there was just a lot of things going on in my life that I wouldn't have been in a good place for any kind of relationship. All right. Do you, wait, do you remember the first time? The first time it was either before, I can't remember exactly, but it's either before or after my college relationship. It was either going to happen or it had just I, I think, happened. I think it was just before. Cause I didn't realize that was that with, with Greg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think, I think that was before, Maybe like right, right before. Right before, because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that that was happening. Oh, yeah. I think that was my sophomore, junior year. It's, uh, yeah, it's I don't remember exactly when, but yeah, it was, it was around that time. But I guess, but I, yeah, I remember the first time more vividly because I remember I was, it was, it was really awkward for me because I actually, I think I actually called you on the phone. Oh, really? And that's that was stressful for me because I hate talking on the phone in general. And then to ask somebody out is even compounded the anxiety. And and I remember like it was taking me forever to get the words out because I remember I was like repeating like, will you? And then I was like trailing off or whatever. And I just kept repeating it. And then I finally asked you and then you said no. But then I was like still like super excited because it was like a hard thing to do. And I finally like got it out of the way. Oh, you did it. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah, I was still yeah, I was like really excited about that, even though like it didn't go the way I thought but all right yeah the second time I almost forgot that I asked that a second time but now did was it something in the way that like I said it that you thought like I was seriously joking or just you were hoping that I was joking uh I don't I'd have to look back at the text messages but I think I was hoping that you were joking because we had been friends for so long and I didn't want to say anything that would make it more difficult to be friends with you. I don't. I don't think it made it more. 
I mean, you don't. Do you think it made it more difficult after no. afterwards? All right. But did I avoid you for a few months? Maybe. <laughs> I was you, also really were, just. I thought you I was living looked, in a different place, and yeah. we were just on different schedules. Yeah, so I didn't take it as that. Um, but, but I will say I felt bad both times <laughs> because I I want to make people feel comfortable around me, and I don't. I don't know. I just feel bad for making another person feel bad and for not being who i think they want me to be what do you, what do you mean by that not being who other people want you to be well i thought in that instance you wanted me to be somebody who said yes to a date <laughs> and i wasn't gonna be that person um because i think i learned it took me a while but i learned that you shouldn't just go with the flow because people want you to <laughs> you know you can't please everybody and I think it's a lesson that I have to struggle to learn or relearn over and over again. But it's hard for me to say no um, because because we were friends before and because you can't just dehumanize a friend and say, oh, well, they're just objectifying me because I know that you weren't like you treated me as a human being with respect and saw me for more than my reproductive qualities, <laughs> you know, and so it was hard to say no. And what's so OK, so the first relationship you had in college i was with gregory what is, is there anything you want to share that maybe you learned from that relationship oh so my college boyfriend was very different than me and i guess i tried to be more of what i thought he wanted me to be and i did so at the cost of exploring my own ideas and um trying to figure out my own identity which i think you know that's the place that college is for um so when we broke up i felt this really intense anxiety but also this liberation from his super conservative ideology and i was also rethinking a lot of um concepts that i had you know kind of put away and after we broke up, I felt more freedom to say things like, oh, I'm agnostic or maybe I'm an atheist or maybe I'm super liberal or just far leftist or political in a way that I didn't feel like I could be around him. So what was it that you thought he wanted you to be that like, I guess, during the relationship? Yeah. Uh, well, he never said it explicitly, but we knew it was going to come to an end when I wasn't going to convert to Catholicism, you know, or when I wasn't going to, you know, say I was a pro-lifer, right. those kinds of things. There's very set ideological differences. And I remember one conversation in particular about abortion that just illuminated for me all of our differences and how we would never really have a future together. But it also illuminated for me how much I was willing to let certain things go because I just wanted to be together in that moment, too. And do you find yourself still doing that? Or have you maybe... I mean, I think whoever you're with romantically, you're also with intellectually, too. And so you're engaging in certain ideas that you wouldn't have thought of before. And there is some similarities of being in that echo chamber for a long enough time. You do start adopting other people's views. But... I do feel an intellectual freedom now, but I didn't. And it wasn't just him. I don't want to place all this blame on him because he wasn't controlling in that sense. But I think it was my own internalization of gender norms that made it so I felt like I had to conform to his ideas in certain ways. All right. But so how do you feel about that now? Do you feel more like you have a, maybe a more developed identity outside of a relationship that yeah, absolutely. In grad school, I wasn't in a relationship for all the time I was in grad school. And in, during that time, you know, I was creating friendships and forming a community and developing intellectually. And after I graduated, I felt like, you know, there was a space for me to develop on my own and to recognize that my ideas could be separate from my mentors or from fellow colleagues and that that was what I was supposed to do as a professor I was supposed to profess my ideas and so I felt that I had more of a platform in my classroom and in my own mentorship of students to to 
workshop ideas together or to show people my perspective in a way that I just didn't. But I was also really young when I went to undergrad and I felt like the age component was something that I just didn't see initially as a part of my you know, kind of immaturity because I wanted to pretend to be this mature kind of person that I just, you know, I wasn't in certain ways, especially emotionally or socially, I wasn't mature. Maybe I'm not right now either, (laughs) but, you know, I at least kind of feel more, feel that I don't have to perform in any one particular way like I did before. All right. Uh, Are you in a relationship now? Yeah. And that's... Mm -hmm. Uh, so how do you think that's going in terms of, I, I mean, like, <laughs> like what we talked about before about, you know, identity and, uh, do you well, feel like you, is it, you feel like you guys are more compatible because of similar ideologies or even if they're different ideologies, you feel more comfortable in your own that you don't feel like you have to conform to mm-hmm. his or. Yeah, I, I think we have many shared interests and shared commitments Uh, But he's interested in other kind of intellectual pursuits than I am. And I think we're compatible in that sense. We're not trying to get each other to constantly read certain thinkers or writers or um, have the same ideas on on any one topic. Um, But there's a general kind of leftist sentiment and one that enables us to, I guess, cultivate a community of similarly minded people um, who are working together towards issues of social justice. And that feels much more comfortable to me than trying to squeeze myself into some kind of category. I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask this. What, well, I'll just go ahead and ask it. What, uh, what advice do you have for me? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I think you're 100% human. There's nothing inherently defective with you. There isn't something that's horribly deficient or I don't know. I think that this podcast for you is an exploration of selfhood, right? The the purpose is self-discovery and trying to do things better in a different way. But a part of me thinks that there is no perfect formula. There is no way to erase what you have done or the paths that you've chosen to go on the relationships you've chosen not to have and so you just have to move forward and keep trying I think in part dating is just trial and error and kind of a numbers game you know figuring out who you are and how you click with people or how you don't and why and I think you can only really know each other in relation with each other in conversations in in not taking back anything, right? What do you mean? Well, like there's no erase button or there's right, no yeah. there's no way to delete a conversation or a moment once it's happened. Right. So if anything, go boldly into that darkness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess going back to kind of what we talked about before with, with the essays and I guess, commitment as far as that goes. I guess a related problem I think that I have is maybe miscommunication, like misreading signals or, in other words, like not only misinterpreting signals that I may or may not be receiving, but also kind of inventing things that maybe aren't there. Do you feel like I gave gave you mixed signals in our friendship? No, not necessarily. Um, no, I don't. I just well, I knew I was attracted to you. Um, because you were very smart, and I liked how passionate you were about like your ideals and like you know the things that you would talk about, and I that was really interesting. Um, but I also kind of like the fact like even even though you were young, um, you were like 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 you were really smart, but you were like naive about like a lot of things <laughs> and like you were like kind of clueless about like a lot of like pop c- culture references that I would I make. I still am. And like generally, you know, I like people that would like get like all those kind of, you know, movie quotes and stuff like that. 
but I, I found it kind of fascinating that you like didn't know about that. And I don't know. Have you exoticized homeschoolers, Ryan? <laughs> no, I, that's not, I don't know. That's not a, like a thing that I had ever thought about, but I mean, I just, cause yeah, cause at, at that point in college, I was really into movies. I kind of, I was interested in, I honestly, yeah, still am interested in like writing for like TV or, you know, film, TV, cartoons, that sort of thing. Um, so like, I, yeah, so at that point in college, I was kind of obsessed with that. And, uh, and I guess even like typically, you know, I, you know, gravitate to people that are like in the same kind of interest, but like to you is, is more like almost the opposite. Like you were like, I could, I could introduce you to things and just kind of like, you know, I was, I was interested, I was already into, into talking about it and you seem like kind of open to at least, you know, hearing what I had to say about certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, because you maybe didn't already have, I don't know, you're like, you didn't have like strong feelings about like certain movies and stuff. So I could be like, here, this is why this is a cool thing. And, or like why I think this is like a great movie or whatever. And mm -hmm. I don't know, that's something. And we were both interested in media production too. And yeah. you provided the soundtrack for some oh, yeah. really <laughs> shitty documentaries that I made. Oh yeah. Which I was appreciative for. Um, it was fun. That was, that was a good time. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I did. So I didn't necessarily get mixed signals from you or anything like that. Uh, but I mean, that's, that was one times where I, I guess kind of like stepped out on limb and, uh, but at, at that point I felt like we were close enough friends that if it didn't work out, like I, like it, it wouldn't matter too much just cause like, I, it's not like I'm going to stop talking to you. Cause I still like enjoy your company. I still consider you a good friend. So it's not, you know, other people, you, I guess there's probably other people that I'm, I'm, it's kind of weird to say, but I guess like you, you realize you're not as interested in them as a friend. Mm -hmm. That's harsh, right? <laughs> there's the expendables and then there's no, the folks I mean, who you're still going to be friends with. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I tend to not pursue that, I guess. I mean, but I mean, there, you know, there are people that maybe you just are interested in, like, physically or, or something like that, right? And it's, like, I, I mean, I usually try to identify that. I feel like I try to identify that early on to, you know, if, if I realize that I'm not interested in, like, what they have to say, you know, there's no point in, like, still trying to pursue that because that's kind of like a dead end, I guess. But... Uh, I feel like there are times when, yeah, there are, there have been times when I, I feel like it's kind of leaning towards something like a romantic relationship or something like that. And then, and then when it doesn't happen, it's just, it's kind of confusing, mm -hmm. but yeah, it does. I guess it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it is definitely something that happens. I think, I think usually the problem I have is just when I come up in my head, that somebody is not interested but yeah i'm still trying to find out the difference between like what's in my head and what's real does that make sense yeah well and i remember when you were pitching the idea or you were talking about the podcast you were talking about to all the ways that you end relationships in your mind yeah before they begin and i think i did that with with you too i <laughs> i imagined the end and it wasn't great at all and so i on my end to be protective of our friendship thought we what, should not go there what 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 did you imagine or like how did you i mean i think we're just very different people and i i think that i can be very depressive at times and you can be as well and so in that way we're similar but in terms of communication or in terms of our ability to handle situations maturely, I don't know if we could have <laughs> made it work. The also the other thing too uh, is that I imagine catastrophe at the or just around the corner at any moment, and I wouldn't know if I went through something catastrophic if if but, you yeah. had the the maturity or capacity to handle that without spiraling too. That's fair. <laughs> what what kind of catastrophic things are you? I mean, this last year has been really difficult for me. Um, my mom died. I became a caregiver to one of my family members. 
things like that. When shit gets real and you are faced with real life or death situations, who who do you think is going to be emotionally there or can handle extreme mental states um, from their partner? I, I don't know. I think it's that's where my mind goes. And I think I've seen a lot of couples who are more perhaps emotionally compatible in certain instances or really empathic with each other's experiences than being consumed by that. And I think in a relationship, at least in my relationships, a balance is more important of someone being supporting and not falling into the same traps that I fall into of catastrophizing constantly. So how how would you find that before experiencing the catastrophe? How do you find somebody that's that you think is able to handle that sort of thing? Well, I don't think you can ever really predict it. That's the <laughs> the other problem too, right? So But I mean, you have I mean if I you mean, think if you that go, you might be able to, but you don't know. There's yeah. no way of knowing. But I mean, you have to at least have you don't know, but you it seems like you would have at least some kind of idea that like this person probably could handle this kind of situation or this person would be able to, you know, handle me when I'm dealing with something like that. Like, how do you, how do you, what do you, how do you see that in somebody else? I don't know. I think it, you don't, maybe do it's just you, a sense or intuition, but uh, I, mean, I think you, it's wrong. I mean, you can never really know. But like, I mean, do you, do you feel that about uh, your partner now? Well, yeah, but it's only in hindsight because he stuck with me through a really shitty time. Oh, so, so he was, you were dating him when that? We had just started dating. It probably was three months into our dating or maybe two months in that my mom died, um, which was a total world collapse for me in so many levels because I had built an identity around being her caregiver of sorts. Um, and so I was questioning who I was and what my role was and the kind of scholarship that I was doing and all of the things that I kind of built up in my mind as being the trajectory for where my life would go or career would go. And then when that ended, I was devastated. And a part of, I guess, our drawing closer together was that recognition that he wasn't going to leave me hanging during a really horrible time. But I didn't know that he was or not. I mean, I hope that he wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, is there any, any, I guess, extra support or just the fact that he was there? Well, I think it, it was giving space for grief and giving space for difficult conversations or for reliving difficult memories um, and not invalidating my experiences or feelings or emotions within that scenario um, and gently guiding me through not spiraling into catastrophic thinking or saying, you know, I think that's a little too far. Maybe you could, maybe that's a little irrational given the situation, but he would never say that I was wrong. And that's the part that I liked. I didn't <laughs> want to be told that I was wrong just that maybe I could be steered ever so slightly into a more optimistic frame. Now, is that just what you were grieving or just in general? I think never... in general. I think in general. He never says you're wrong. He doesn't say I'm wrong, <laughs> which is great. I hate being told that I'm wrong somehow. Even if he completely disagrees with me, he'll just state his position, leave it at that. Oh, see, I guess that's where we're different. I enjoy telling that you when you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for you, when you predict a relationship's end, how do you see it going? Like, if you were going to predict our relationship's end, what would it look like? Uh, I guess a lot of times I end up, uh, like, a lot of it has to do, I guess, with me and my insecurities. And, I don't know, maybe, like, a lot of times I feel like I like I feel like I, I don't live, like, maybe I don't live up to your standards or that, yeah, I guess, like, feeling that you'd be, like, disappointed in me or, like... Yeah, it usually leads to generally feeling like sort of in, inferior in a way, I guess. I don't know. Does that make sense? That's just so, I mean, having that reflected just seems harsh in a sense, right? 
I mean, I guess because in a way, I guess in a way, because I am a uh, sort of an immature person, but in a way that I, 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 I tend to kind of, I'm aware of that, but like I kind of embrace that because I think it's an important, like, yeah, because lately I, I mean, that's one of the reasons I enjoy doing comedy because you can kind of embrace, like in a, re- in a really general sense, you can kind of embrace like silliness and, and things, things that maybe most people kind of have gotten away from you know you know like because like i said like like in college i was like really interested in in cartoons and that sort of thing and i was i've always been kind of interested in embracing like the kind of like childlike nature of things and and kind of embracing that but at the same time i feel like like a lot of people would be you know i was in college i was in the honors college and you know people I saw so many people kind of embracing, you know, the academia and, uh, you know, the higher pursuit of learning and that sort of thing. And um, uh, for in a, in a way, I felt like I was kind of like the opposite, even though I, I see both as being important. But I, I so I, I guess I've, I've always been kind of afraid that, um, yeah, people would kind of look down on me because of that or I or just not. You know, because when you're with somebody, like, you want them to be able to kind of support you. And I I want to feel like I can, you know, support somebody else. But at the same time, uh, I've always been afraid that maybe I just can't. And, like, even though I, I want to be that, I want to be there for somebody, like, I, you know, there's there's a certain maturity that maybe maybe I don't have. or 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 maybe I'm just, maybe I have, but I'm just not developing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that economic success should be considered as, you know, some mode of self-actualization or some way of having arrived. I think there are, that we often conflate economic success with this ideal for security or stability and something that I've always liked about your willingness to be kind of counterculture or subversive or cultivate your artistic creative capabilities is rejecting that premise and saying that we're more than our economic solvency we're more than our productivity in that aspect but then we live in the realities of a very materialist culture too and we are confronted every day with how we don't have enough funds to get to where we need to go and we don't feel safe or secure um, within a broken social service system too, right? So there's all these levels in which perhaps romantic relationships are so tied to economic solvency that we don't explore other forms of um, engaging with each other, other kinds of ways of not seeing each other in terms of economic exchange. And a lot of romantic relationships tend to have that component and no one wants to talk about it because we don't want you know relationships to seem transactional in a certain sense but historically for women they've always been that way you know what do you what do you mean like the dowries like the patriarchy with feeling like we are our reproductive qualities with feeling like we are our kind of our aesthetic or the way that we present ourselves in particular forms of femininity and that performance, you know, has an economic valence to it. If we look a certain way, if we can speak a certain way, then we might be able to marry up, which means marrying in a secure kind of fashion. But yeah, even even not necessarily economically, I feel I guess I guess the the emotional maturity is also an, another thing that I guess I've been insecure about in a in a sense as far as um being there for your friends or no i mean just um like uh, yeah but going back to like the way i was in in college it's not necessarily the best way to be because i was you know not very good at studying and stuff like that but i remember i don't know i was kind of like a daydreamer and scatterbrained and stuff and i my favorite thing to do was like kind of just make stuff up and just kind of embrace silliness and I feel like maybe that's one thing that kind of scares me about relationships 
in in a sense that it's more or less like an, a, an adult thing to do. Like it, it's it's less just maybe like I want it to be like I want it to be less than uh I don't know like I like I don't, maybe I don't take it as serious. I'm trying to find out, find out the right way to say this. Um, but yeah, I I think it takes a certain amount of of depending on depending on what kind of like relationship if it, if it's you know, like a serious dating relationship you know there's takes a certain maturity to it that i i may not be ready to provide does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think being in a relationship or loving somebody well means that you want their best interest above your own and there is something protective about rejecting relationships that involve that kind of commitment and that want to put somebody above your own needs or desires at a time but I also think that if you're not confronted with that dilemma you don't know that about yourself whether or not you're mature in that sense so it is in relation with people and trying to love them well that we can figure out that about ourselves you know yeah and i guess the the only other thing that i'd have to say is i guess the opposite of that is feeling that like i would kind of rush into a relationship and then immediately maybe regret it for like whatever reason and then you know not not wanting to start something and then like immediately be like oh wait no that's it's not have really you ever I'm... done that though no but see in my head i've i don't know you predict the end. Well, yeah, I, I avoid the I avoid, catastrophic thinking. Yeah, catastrophic thinking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess it prevents me. Well, perhaps it's a matter of not trusting yourself then, and not trusting that you'll be able to see through the puppy love phase, and figure out the ways in which your relationship needs work. But relationships are constantly in need of work they're constantly needing to be you know supported and cultivated and maintained i don't know i just don't know if you can know that about yourself until you're in a dating relationship if not in a committed long-term relationship yeah but still getting there is still difficult i feel maybe you don't want to be in a relationship maybe i I've, I've considered that as well, but, uh, I think we value heteronormative relationships or, you know, the ideal of marriage and it might not be what we need or want in any particular. Yeah. I've kind of gotten away from, yeah, I'm not really interested in marriage at this point, but a lot of, a lot of that is just, I, yeah, I don't feel like I'm. Yeah, some of it, I guess, is is a maturity thing. Like, I feel, but I mean, also just my interests kind of take me away. Like, I'm out doing comedy and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think just I'd be at least more open to like dating, like whether, yeah, just dating like on its own is like I could handle that. But I think it's a it's really mature to recognize that maybe you don't want a relationship right now and to be okay with that. I mean, when I had my stretch in grad school of just being single, I hated it and I wanted that physical connection with another human, but I also learned so many things about myself that I wouldn't have learned if I was just safe and secure in a relationship and getting validation and support from one person you know there's something really brave about being single and something that should be valorized about people who are taking that stance I don't see it so much as a stance but I think I see what you're saying yeah I mean maybe it's situational but or not as chosen as you want it to be and maybe that's the gendered component too because you know women on social media dating it's it's a lot easier to get messages or dates from people and so you can you recognize that you could be in a relationship if you wanted to be and then you're choosing not to be whereas guys don't get messaged as much and have a harder time get starting a conversation or 
getting response from women. And right. so that's a complicating factor too for how one could experience single dumb differently. <laughs> but yeah, going back to it, I guess what you were saying earlier, it, it helps. Yeah. Being, being single helps if you, yeah, you have other kind of relationships that can kind of fulfill you in, in other ways, if not the physical way, but you know, just like we're talking about like emo- uh, like intellectual conversation, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's important definitely to have stuff like that. And have you set particular limits for yourself of folks who you wouldn't want to date or career paths or, you know, those kinds of interests that would prevent you from dating somebody? Like, like deal breakers? Yeah. I, I mean, I've thought about it. I, it's, to me, it's, it's more like, wait, I guess, like, I don't, you know, I won't know until I like, talk to them, but it's just like people that can't, it's hard to categorize, but it's like people, just people that I feel more comfortable talking with that I, I don't feel like I don't want to, I don't clam up around, right? Like there's people that I feel comfortable being open, being goofy, being weird or whatever. Those, those are the kind of people I gravitate towards. So, so people are, so people that I don't feel like comfortable opening up to, like, I, I generally am not gonna like pursue anything with, I guess. Um, people that don't wanna watch cartoons with me, that's... That's a deal breaker. Um, I don't know. I mean, that sort of thing. Just, I mean, if you're, but yeah, yeah. Sh- shared interests is like a, a big thing, I guess. They don't have to be the same interests, but I, I think being able to do things together that you both enjoy is important. Would you wanna date a comedian? I, I don't know, that's a... <laughs> I've I've heard mostly bad things about that, but uh, I mean I'd be open to it, I guess. But yeah, I mean there's, I mean there's other problems with that. It's just it's just the way that comedy works as far as like everybody in the kind of same scene, and I don't know. But I'm I'm not against that. But yeah, but it's, yeah, I think like if we're talking about career wise, I guess I I would be more interested maybe in somebody in like a artistic field not necessarily the same one but but at the same time it's kind of interesting like people that are like in a completely different field but you know at least have interest in the arts so i guess that's that's that you have any other closing thoughts i guess when you first pitched this idea to me i thought you were kidding and i was a little reticent because i was I guess I still am curious about what the point of going through these really awkward encounters are. I I wonder if it's some kind of masochistic <laughs> kind of pursuit where you're just trying to hate on yourself. And I don't know. I think that there's nothing, like I said before, there's nothing wrong with you. There's you're a perfectly wonderful human being and there isn't any point of trying to relive the awkwardness or figure out ways that you could have done things differently you know things just happen and people come in and out of your life for all sorts of reasons and that's a part of it i think when you do enter a relationship that you find fulfilling and satisfying intellectually and physically and emotionally this stretch will somehow seem a little less horrible or maybe it'll help you um embrace what you do have and be grateful for that yeah i guess honestly yeah i think well first off real quick what 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 made you think i was kidding i guess or (laughs) um what made me think you were kidding just because it's something that i i don't feel comfortable sharing a lot of personal experiences in the public sphere and (laughs) i think you know that i'm kind of introverted so it's a lot to push me to talk about these kinds of topics (laughs) Well, I, so yeah, maybe I thought I, or I hoped you were kidding. <laughs> like I hoped you were kidding about asking me out. No, well, I, I, 
want to thank you for coming on and talking about personal things in the public sphere. It's for me, I feel it's I feel like it's an important thing for me to do. It's cuz it's it's just something that I I think about a lot, but it's I I think about it in my head and I feel like the only way to kind of I mean, when you think about things in your head, they're they're only from one perspective. So basically, all I'm trying to do with this podcast is kind of get another perspective to kind of better shape to shape a better picture, I guess, of what my I guess my worldview about I guess as far as like relationships and dating and stuff like that goes to get a less biased view or a, a less one-sided view of I guess relationships um and I I I I guess I've embraced awkwardness just as part of that's kind of like the basis of a lot of my comedy as a stand-up and even in improvising I kind of tend to embrace the awkwardness but I think I think that's I see it as like a healthy thing because um I feel I feel like not necessarily revisiting the past to try to like romanticize like what could have been but just to realize, you know, this didn't happen for whatever reason, that's okay, but just being able to learn from it mm-hmm. is uh essentially what I'm trying to do, I think. Um cuz I I think yeah, I think you brought up some good points and I I think I think this was a good talk that we've had all I think for me in trying to grapple with things in my life that I haven't always understood, recognizing that personal experiences are also political experiences has helped me recognize that I'm not alone and that there are social or cultural issues, there are gendered issues or racist, classist issues that prevent people from trusting each other, connecting to each other of supporting an ethics of care and um, cultivating spaces for people to be open and diverse and free. Um, And one of my favorite authors, Bell Hooks, talks a lot about love as liberation or liberatory possibilities. And I want to hold on to that idea because we live in such a hateful time in such a hateful state and if we can learn how to be in relation with each other despite the awkwardness and despite the complications and the miscommunication then there can be something there that's really deep and meaningful and important and and so I want to hold on to that as much as possible and continue to be friends with you (laughs) despite the awkwardness and be in this really open kind of forum for discussing our relationship and our friendship yeah i mean like it honestly it started as like just kind of like a crazy idea that i have just maybe in some ways masochistic or whatever but like when i started talking about it i like more people express interest in it like and like i put the first episode up and people kept asking you know when are you going to do more episodes Uh, so i i felt i saw that as kind of a go-ahead to like even though it's it's awkward for me, I try to make it not too awkward for you. But like I feel like it's it's something that like anybody can can benefit from. I think just I mean, I think I think there's just this just having this kind of discussion is is important because maybe it doesn't happen too much in this society. Like I like I feel like there's just like a lot of confusion about it. Like people have opinions about it, but there's still maybe not satisfied with how things are going so i guess i'm attempting to kind of break the taboo i mean i'm just i'm just trying to to understand it better in in my own social circle and hopefully learn from it and hopefully other people can learn from it too yeah i think it takes some (laughs) bravery it takes some gumption to do what you're doing yeah did you have anything that you wanted to uh plug I'm working on a, a collaborative art project um, that tries to 
find the intersections between mental health and environmental justice issues. Uh, our Facebook page is called Environmental Spaces in the Southwest. Um, we have a film it's coming out soon. It's premiered uh, for selective audiences only, and uh, we'll be hosting more events in the coming months too. Uh, do you know when it or when and where it'll be showing? Not yet. All right. We'll publish it online. There's also a digital art exhibit from collaborator collaborators who've submitted art for the project. Well, thank you again very much, Erica, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and thank you, listeners out there on the internet. I'll see you again sometime. Mockingbird Network.